So this part two of faith, and uh, I'm going to review quickly the, the whole foundation we laid last week, and then we're really just going to get into one issue. And so hopefully uh, it'll work this way. So uh, English language definition, so we're sure about what we're talking about. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I loved it that that's sort of the top level English um, explanation of it because it applies so directly to someone, the Lord, and something, the results that we want for Jody or for Paul's situation or anything along those lines. So, you know, we're not, we're not trying to come up with some kind of exotic definition that's just unique to us in church or something along those lines. Uh, a strong belief in God or the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension and not proof. That probably is a good, good, you know, blessed is he who believes without seeing. So there's something about not leveraging God or not waiting to believe until it's proven. But that's also something that's, it's not as big a deal, I think, as we probably make it because we have a lifetime of accumulation of God's faithfulness and interaction with it. And we need to just you know, we need to give that the credit it deserves. I mean, this is this thing that went on with your your daughter. That's going to feed hope, and in a sense, it is kind of proof. <laughs> you know, it is kind of proof, uh, and, and so we've got a little bit of that stored away now that adds to our ease of believing. Um, but then it also opens the door for us to believe on things that we haven't had proof for yet, because of the nature of God and what He's done and who He is and how overcoming he is because of the stories and the revelation of Scripture. And then, of course, it's a system of religious beliefs. All those are true in English. So here's from the Bible. This is some uh, biblical things that I kind of put as a definition. Uh, a couple of negations and one wheel. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. And the next line, I didn't have room on there for it, but the next line is interesting. It says, by faith we know that the worlds were made uh, you know, out of not what existed. And so a lot of times people would say, well, that's the realm of science. Not really. It's the realm of faith, too. And they're not in conflict necessarily. They're not in conflict necessarily. You know, we set it up as a dichotomy. Uh, the worlds were made out of that which was not. And there's all kinds of scientific theories that postulate that as well. It's okay. So faith isn't something that runs us out of the world. Faith led to a real car in Pueblo. It's going to lead to real healing in Jody's back and neck. That's just, that's what faith does. In the negation, it's interesting. Romans 14, 23, uh, this is where Paul's talking about, you know, eating in faith and, and doing all this kind of stuff. Whatever is not of faith is sin. That, I just put it up there as part of the definition because it makes faith important in another way. Makes faith worth pursuing in another way. Because we don't want to live our lives apart from faith and, and be vulnerable to the sin that that scripture says that is. Uh, you know, and of course in there it's talking about eating and not having faith. Like you're pressured socially or governmentally or community-wise into eating something that's off to idols or whatever. So, but it just, it just shows how broad the, the impact of faith can be. And then this one, obviously, this, this should be like one of the most important verses in the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him being God because he uh, comes to him, must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those that 
Seek him. No, I think there's two things that are important here. One, it's a pretty solemn statement to say without faith it's impossible to please God, if pleasing God matters. And I've never found a place in Scripture, just I've never looked at it all that hard, I've never found a place in Scripture that really articulated why pleasing God was that important, except that it, it just innately feels like it's a good thing to do. <laughs> right? And, I, and so it's probably worth a study, and maybe I'll, have, maybe I'll tackle that sometime. Or you can. But the other thing that comes out of this, even though it's a, a, a negation definition, is what it says there, for he who comes to God must believe. And then, that if you have you ever sat and thought, what could have followed that phrase? Matter of fact, have you ever thought what does follow that phrase in a lot of church systems, or theological systems, or social, or cultural, or religious systems? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe. And then there's this long list of things. I know on um, on the, I think it's called Desiring God website, um, there's this list of seven criteria that have to happen for a person to be saved. And I'm not trying to pick a fight with that articulation of that, but I'm not sure that that's the best way to break faith down into a checklist of things. What this says is you need to believe that God is. That is pretty fundamental right there. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I'm willing to not be a fool and say in my heart that there is no God. So that's a big step forward in faith. So if we, if we have that, so even thinking about people who, you know, may or may not, uh, be going to church on a regular basis, may or may not be living up to even the beliefs that they have, is it is is there a, a possibility that God sees and counts the reality that they believe that He is? And most people do. I mean, you know, foxholes, uh, trouble, threats—they all bring out, oh my God, kind of things. <laughs> and so I think there's, I think that's a, a pretty big deal, and that He is the rewarder. This is one where I think maybe we we lack a little bit that uh, God is actually the rewarder of those that seek Him. So really, what this is kind of saying is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But what that faith has to do is it has to cause you to seek Him, to come to Him, believe He is, and to believe that He's willing to listen to you and help. That's not a very, um, not a very complicated criteria. So faith fits... Simple, which of course is a good thing because we're supposed to live like little children, right? So faith fits in this thing. All right, so those are definitions. Uh, this is that Old Testament example about how our thoughts about that are different, perhaps, than the Scripture is. So in Genesis and the New American Standard, this is the thing where Abraham's belief gets uh, counted to him as righteousness, but in the process... The, uh, the, the comeback from the Lord is, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And if you remember in the King James, it changes that, and it sounds so much more relational. And so if you think about this idea that faith believes that God is and is a rewarder, put that in a relational thing. And I think we're a better position. So uh, King James says, I'm your shield and thy exceeding great reward. It puts those words in the mouth of God as opposed, and your reward shall be very great. So 
The King James attributes to God himself the, the category of Abraham's great reward. And most of us in this room would, would understand the significance of that. Uh, would you rather have God be with you or God give you something? Now, there's times when you need God to give you something. But those gifts usually come when God is with you and you know it. And so that's what that's about. Whereas in, in most, the kind of tendency in modern theology is to believe in separation, believe in, uh, you know, that list of things that are necessary to please God. You gotta walk this way. You gotta be devoted this way. You gotta believe the Bible this way. You gotta do whatever. I'm not saying any of those things are, are bad. And I'm not saying we don't need to do them. But what I'm saying is, we make it conditional. So in the New American Standard, it keeps it at a distance. It turns God's presence, or it turns Abraham's reward away from God's presence and makes it God's promise. And one of the things that I think that sort of thinking does to confuse most of us about faith is we have a tendency to think that our faith is attached to God's promises instead of our faith literally coming from God himself. And Scripture, you know, says that to every man, God has given a measure of faith. And we'll look at that next week. We're going to get into some of the scriptural specifics. So I guess what I just want us to do is, I want you to, like we did when we were going and talking about eschatology, I kept reminding you, who is it that the future is going to flow from? Who has the authority over the future? It's the God of spirit, fire, light, love, and love that created. He's the one that is going to also manage, manifest, discipline, judge the future. And so it's the same way with faith. It's God who gives us this faith. God has given every man a measure of faith. Okay. And so he himself, and that's what I want us to, to, to realize. Um, so the, the the translation of it into a promise takes away a little bit in my thinking of the relational reward of, of God himself in Abraham's life. One foretells union and one doesn't. And so I want us as we go on even today, thinking about faith, to realize that faith is a sign, a symbol, and a gift of God's presence in our lives. Not just something he gives us from afar. Okay, And I'm going to try to give you grammatical permission to think that. And that'll be kind of over here. Okay, so in the New American, I'm in the New Testament. This is the, uh, the example we looked at last week, and we're going to look in a little more detail today. Uh, Galatians 2, 16, and I, I, I had that uh, 17, 18 in there, but we're just going to concentrate on the two places that it's put in there. Uh, so here's the New American Standard, and it says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That's verse 16. Verse 20 just also has a similar situation in it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, I, I, I'm not going to cover 20 today, but I'll tell you the same sort of things true in 20 grammatically that we're going to look at, as is in 16. So down here in 20, uh, the life I now live in the flesh, in the flesh is a certain grammatical construction. And then uh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God is a different grammatical construction. That's what we're going to look at. You can see the example in a couple of places in 16. And so here it is in the King James, and they do it a little bit differently. Uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the work of the law, but by the faith of Jesus. That's this grammatical construction that we're going to look at called the genitive. Okay? Genitive case. And then it goes on, and there is an in there in the second phrase. It's still there. That's, that's literally the word ain, and it's dative, and it's different than the genitive case. And it says, so even we have believed in Jesus Christ, um, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And then it goes on down. So 20 is the same way. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, is the difference between uh, the translation of the genitive case with the concept of of or from or that type of thing, uh, as opposed to the dative case and the accusative case, which is um, in. So I'm not saying that we're not supposed to have faith in Christ. We do. We do. I'm, but I am saying there is another dimension to faith that isn't us just having faith in Him. And as a matter of fact, the reason that we can have faith in Him is probably very much like the Scripture in First uh, John chapter 4 helps us understand why we can love. We love because He first loved us. We have faith because He has shared His faith with us. Now, if Jesus is the source of the faith that you have, and He gives you some of it, or He lives inside you and manifests that faith, that doesn't mean that you don't have faith just because He's the source of it. You do too. And that's what allows Him to say, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Because that's that same extended principle that Jesus said, I don't do anything that I didn't see the Father doing. Or these words are not my own. They're the Father's working in me. So the faith that we have, which we have, praying for Jody, let's say, or the faith that you had to lift up this need and just sort of summarize it all. And let's just ask the Lord to fix this, you know. That's your faith. And by that kind of faith, Hebrews 11 says that all these men and women of old were commended. And that, that it's, so it's a good thing. We have faith and we need to cultivate it and exercise it and use it. But the source of that faith isn't just a gift from a long ways, like the New American Standard says, you're going to be, uh, I'm going to, you're going to have a very great reward. No, I'm going to be your very great reward. Jesus in us releases his faith the way he gives us his love. Another place in John, I think it's, uh, is it 15 or? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus says, my joy I give to you, not as the world gives, right? And then John capitalizes on that understanding in 1 John and said, we share this with you so that uh, you're, you, know, you may have joy, that our joy will be complete and your joy will be complete. Because when Jesus gives us his joy, then it becomes our joy. And so it's okay to say, boy, I need to be a good steward of my joy, just like we need to be a good steward of faith. But we don't have to muster it up, and, and it's never an adversarial thing between us and God, which is the way a lot of times I think we're taught to think about faith, like I need more faith or, you know, uh, no. And 
I, I can't go into total detail this week. I'm going to try to a little bit next. Remember when Jesus was uh, dealing with the uh, centurion that came and his servant was sick? And uh, he, uh, he said, okay, I'll come. And the guy goes, you don't have to come because I'm, I'm a man under authority and I say to somebody, go and they go and do So I know if you'll just speak the word, he'll be okay. And then Jesus declared, boy, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. That wasn't a unique situation in this man. I believe just the same way as Jesus saw somebody come up and love somebody, he knew that that person loved because God first loved them. And he knew that this man had faith because he had acted on that measure of faith that the Scripture says is given to every man, including Roman centurions who don't yet know that they're even supposed to know Jesus. You know, So faith is a, is a bigger deal than we give it credit for a lot of times, and it's a simpler deal. It's, a, it's another one of the manifestations of our union with Jesus and our union with Father through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is here to activate it and make it work because faith is one of those gifts, right? That the Spirit talked about. Okay? All right. So anyway, uh, we'll look a little more in detail in 16. Now, here's the words. The New Testament word is pistis, and it's a big word. It's used a lot in the New Testament, uh, 243 times, 239 is translated faith. It's also translated a couple times belief. That's totally fine. And it's, it's not hard to understand. Here's the uh, lexicon definitions. That which evokes trust and faith, the state of believing on the basis of a reliable one trusted, and that which is believed. So it, your faith touches your ability to believe something that you haven't yet seen. Jody, like your healing. We haven't yet seen it. Faith allows us to, it, it, it acts as the evidence of that and the substance of that unseen thing. Also, Faith is in God. It's in the one who is trustworthy. Lord, thank you that you are. And then faith is a part of that declaration, whatever it comes to be. Okay? Make sense? And it is a, a, a part of that which is believed. So we walk around with that, and we're not... Uh, like, for instance, Jody, when, when uh, you sent me the, the or me and Vicky the text this morning with the x-ray, faith was a part of the fact that I didn't go, oh, no, no, you know, and, and get like super anxious and super worried. Like I was bombed, you know, uh, that it turned out to be that way for you. But faith is the reason that Jesus didn't wring his hands over the Pharisees or that God doesn't, isn't freaked out about like, oh my gosh, the world's out of control and, you know, how's this going to end? No. Faith gives us the ability to believe. And they work together, hand in hand. All right, so uh, the other word that is closely aligned, and I just want to eliminate any anxiety over trying to pin down, and I'm probably the only guy in the room that tries to do that anyway, but pin down the difference between faith and belief. Uh, you need it now or want to yeah. finish that? Okay. You just said that God, no, that faith gives us the ability to believe. And I would ask if it's okay to challenge that and say, is it God? Isn't it God that gives us the ability to believe and he's using faith as a means to do uh, so? Uh, it, it could be. Because God's the one that supplied the faith to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but I think that there's some benefit in thinking of faith 
kind of like currency. So, for instance, if you needed, you know, we had that currency conversation. So, if you needed to buy a car, like your daughter did, uh, faith is kind of like being given the money to buy the car, or being given the information to connect to the car, or Paul's situation, being given the opportunity. Uh, I don't think what you're thinking is wrong, but I don't. I, I don't. Well, I know we're studying faith, so we're going to be talking about yeah, faith. Yeah. Yeah. But. The origin of faith, I believe, is, is God. Is God, absolutely. Which means and the origin of belief is also. Yeah, but we probably shouldn't, and I'm not saying that we are, but shouldn't lose track of that. Yeah. That's. Oh, no, no, no. I definitely want to stay focused on that. Absolutely. That's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, and, and that's why I want to reiterate the point I made that I wish there was some place in Scripture that said, just like it says about love, we love because he first loved us that we have faith because he's given us faith. And we, it does say he's given us a measure of faith. And uh, he does say, well, I, I can't get on this one. You know the, the passage, there's a lot of simple statements about faith. One of them is where uh, the, the fig tree was cursed, and they came back to it the next day. And Peter points out, hey, this fig tree's rotted from its root. And, and uh, we read in there in, in that passage in Mark, uh, and it's mostly translated, Jesus has this starting declaration, have faith in God. And then if you say to this uh, mountain movement, you just have to take my word for this, because I, I can't show you tonight. When you understand the difference between the genitive case and the dative case and the accusative case, you're going to be able to read that verse and you're going to understand that what it actually, what Jesus actually said was have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Yes. Um, going along with John fifteen four, abide in me and I in you, mm-hmm. as the vine cannot bear fruit. So in your studies, have you found, because there's two ways in the English to hear, believe in God. One is toward God. One is a location. You're inside of God believing in. Right. You're, you're believing in God. And I was wondering if you have found any, I always get locative and dative mixed up. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. <laughs> um, have you found anywhere, when it's saying believe in God, it's talking about your location, not faith you're throwing at God. Yeah, yeah I would say uh, I do believe that is ultimately the best position to assume I wouldn't as much call it a location. You can definitely call it a location, it's true. But I would call it that union. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And it is from that position that we believe. It is from that position that that our faith is received, that our faith is exercised, and all that kind of stuff. It It's an emphasis on our union. Which is why it was such a troubling thing to me, it is such a troubling thing to me, that... The uh, the phrase in the New American Standard uh, is is it took away the the relational aspect of God being Abraham's word Abraham's word yeah dear. can you go over the currency aspect of faith that you were just talking about break that down for me just a little bit more oh gosh I shouldn't have popped off like that <laughs> yeah I shouldn't have popped off like that um, faith is talked about in a couple places and I'm just going to have to wing it, where it facilitates us being in something or getting something. 
And the one that comes to mind immediately is the grace in which we stand by faith. So grace is something that God gives. And He's the author, clearly, of it. But He's also given us a measure of faith that allows us to then stand in that grace and appropriate it. Um, I can't think of anything else that will do it, but I will, I, next week, I will, I will cover, because we also on Tuesday, uh, not this Tuesday, but last Tuesday, we talked about how faith connects us with stuff. That's kind of what I mean by that. So the currency idea, I don't know if it's a good illustration or not, now that I'm thinking about it. I think it is, but so if your, your daughter needed a car and the prayer of faith helped her connect that car. And it, it took on the form of, not currency this time, but it took on the form of information and things like that. So um, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Faith enables us to awaken to that gift, to engage with that gift, to, to possess that gift. So uh, if you're hungry, uh, every satisfaction of your hunger is down at Safeway. Ten bucks connects you with the satisfaction of that hunger. That's what I mean by faith being like a currency. It could, it could be demeaning to the faith, I don't know. But I don't want faith to be super mysterious, and I don't want it to feel like it's some kind of impossible ta- challenge that the Lord gives us. God gives us faith so that we can receive the things He's also giving us. Yes? Could it be a form of substance? It says it is, yeah, for okay. sure. I don't know what that... It's the thing that you need, the faith you need to get what you need. Uh, so it's like you, so you, you possess that thing before you possess it? Like the conviction or the evidence of something? Yeah, we'll look at that more. We'll look at that more, because that's, that's an important verse. Um, anyway, mostly I just wanted to review this, because I don't want us to, to constantly belabor the separation between the verb believing and the noun faith. Because they're, they really are just all the same thing. And you can see all the words are the same. Uh, confidence, trust, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so the Old Testament, I don't want to go over this a whole lot. It's not, it doesn't add any other thing except the Old Testament does an infinitely better job than the New Testament seems to do painting relational pictures of faith. Most of the words in the Old Testament have to do with faithfulness, steadiness, trustworthiness, all this kind of stuff. And that's because a lot of them are talking directly about Yahweh himself and God's faithfulness to the nation and stuff like that. And then when it gets attached, faith gets attached to an individual, it's generally attached to a person who exhibits those same kind of qualities. And there are all those words. But you can see how the steady-handed one, that's cool. You know, it's a relational term. Faithful, uh, support. Think about that. Uh, you're coming alongside somebody to pick them up. Faith is a relational thing. Uh, and we have a tendency in our, our culture and in our church culture to think about it more as a transactional abstract thing, you know. And maybe that's, maybe the currency thing's bad because if you didn't have enough to get the satisfaction, then your faith's not that good. And that puts us in trouble. Like Tim, you talked about two Tuesdays ago about, uh, oh, you have little faith or something along those lines. So anyway, but at the heart of it, it has to do with the idea of certainty. And that is true in the Old Testament and the New. Okay, so what can we learn about faith? Uh, faith is the noun. Believe or believing is the word, and they're closely related, and they, they mean that. Uh, Hebrew has the word pictures. I just talked about that. And the Greek is more uh, 
kind of more of a precise, uh, abstract, a little bit language. And because of these case things, it, it points us in the right direction of relationships between the nouns and the verbs and the various things. Uh, so we're going to ex- explore this tonight. So that's a long review, but it was worthwhile. And now I'm thinking about, about the currency thing, and it might I might be playing into our Western sort of detached rational thing rather than the relational, so we'll have to see. Okay, so we're going to uh, try to understand the genitive and, and, and the accusative case and the difference and the impact it has on our faith. That's all we're going to do tonight. So uh, I'm going to... Uh, don't cause your... Yeah, geek out. <laughs> and I, hopefully I'm not going to cause your eyes to roll back in your head with the next slide. Both cases are used in reference to Jesus. This was the point I was trying to make. Believing in Him, having faith, plus many other important revelations. So we're not looking at a blanket either or kind of translation in this. We're just looking to try to understand what a given set of Scriptures say and don't say, and not to try to force them to say something that is already provided for with other language and in other places. I don't understand why we do it. I kind of understand why we do it. Mostly we get driven by theology. And when a Scripture comes in, like how many times have you uh, have you heard about words inserted for clarity? It is a rare case, in my opinion, where that makes things more clear. And sometimes clarity, according to your own perspective, is not what you're looking for. Maybe sometimes it's good for you to be completely unclear because you thought it was like this, but the revelation is trying to tell you it's really like this. It's different than you think. You thought, well, that just makes common sense. Yes, but I'm trying to give you something, says the Lord, that is beyond common sense. I'm trying to give you something based on revelation. Because it doesn't make common sense for Gideon to get rid of extra army people (laughs) when they're already outgunned and overmastered. It doesn't make sense when the whole army couldn't withstand him for David to take on Goliath without armor and with a sling. God does this stuff all the time. And a lot of times, our view of what makes common sense or what seems natural has to be blown up. And the Scripture does that in a lot of places. There's a lot of places that if you just let it, if you just let it say what it's saying, it challenges your comfort zone. But if your comfort zone, post-fall, still in the world that Adam made, if your comfort zone is standing in the way of the revelation and redemption that God has for us, then it needs to change, right? So, okay. So, we're going to begin to do that right now. Okay, what would you say, Ronnie? Going to geek out? This is the geeking out. Not fully, but that will come in a minute. So here are the definitions of these two cases. The genitive case in Greek, in general is used to describe relationships between substantives. Substantives are nouns and pronouns. Okay? So it's a relationship between the noun and something. The relationship between the noun and something. Um, Accusatives, uh, the accusative case generally focuses the verbal action's goal, direction, or extent thereby limiting the action to or by the accusative substantive. (laughs) I don't really know what that means. 
I know what it looks like when it's translated in Scripture. Uh, you have a noun. Let's say that noun is uh, faith. And the accusative limits that in relationship to what it's acting on. So an accusative, uh, we'll, look, we'll see some instances in a minute. Yeah, 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 kind of, kind of like that. That would, faith for food, that, that would, that would take faith and food and define the, the, the channel between the two. That's a good way to, that's a good, that's a good illustration, actually. Okay. All right. So the genitive case, the use of the genitive cases are the adjectival use, which corresponds roughly with the various meanings of the English preposition of. And that is why when we see genitive stuff, very often, most often in the scripture, it is translated the of the or something of something. Okay. Now, there's only really a few cases that consistently don't get translated like that. And sadly, they're about Jesus and us. They're about faith or they're about other things like that. And we'll see that in a minute. The ablative use, which I have absolutely no idea what the word ablative means. Uh, it corresponds, though, with the idea of from. And you can see the relationship between the, the idea of from and the idea of of. In other words, it turns one thing into a source and it turns the other thing into what the source is acting on. And there's a relationship between um, the, the, the noun being, it, it's the source of or it's from or whatever the case is. That's what that talks about. Uh, adverbial use uh, corresponds, again, to the idea of for or by or during. And there are certain times where, like for instance, if you're talking about, if one half of your equation is talking about a time event or something, then words like during assign it as the source. Does that make sense? Uh, in other words, I don't even, I wish I could just say it easier. Um, we met, Ronnie and I met during the parade. So the parade now becomes the reference point of when this action happened between you and I. And that's what the genitive case can assign. Uh, after the verbal noun use, meaning the love of Christ, that's a way of saying that Christ loves us. And it's translated that way in Scripture. And the same thing for fear of the Jews. In other words, the disciples hid, and the phrase is for fear of the Jews. But what it does is it assigns why they were hiding. It explains the source or the root or the beginning of why they were hiding. Okay? The accusative is, is uh, I'll just read it. Uh, the first uh, function is the direct object. It indicates the, the primary recipient of a verb's action. So the verb is doing something, and the thing it's doing it to is the person that's the action. Now, we're going to encounter believe or be justified in Jesus, or believe in Jesus. We're going to see that phrase tonight. That's what it means. It means the verb believe is finding its expression in Jesus. He's the, he becomes the object of that. Okay? That's the accusative. And it's appropriate. And like I say, that's why I'm trying to say there's plenty of reason to believe in Jesus. There's plenty of reason to have faith in Jesus. It's just not the same thing as the genitive is. And, and the language is pretty precise about it, pretty clear. 
Adverbial uh, accusatives, they indicate various types of directions or limitation on the verb's action with respect to time, place, things, and manner of behavior. Uh, I don't know how to illustrate that. Um, I'll try to do better at that next week. Uh, this, the subject function is to indicate the sub- subject of a certain verb. So sometimes you'll get uh, the accusative case in Greek will make sure that you understand that the noise was caused by this. And, and, and if you look at the way the words are written, the, the uh, case of the words will agree. So noise will be in the accusative and the source of that will be in the accusative. And that's how you can tell in a complicated sense what's going back and forth. And the objective is to indicate that the substantive is the object of a preposition. Um, the same thing like around the mountain. Uh, and let's say there were like around the mountain near the city. Greek has a way using the accusative to associate the word around, which is a preposition, with the mountain and not the city. Otherwise, it, it would be like you walked around the city to get to the mountain. Then you, the accusative would, would point that out. And, and because English is not good about that, we have to use more phraseology to do it. And that's why translation becomes kind of important. Does that make any sense at all? Okay. The big thing to remember is that the genitive case focuses around a thing being the source, something being of it, from it, by it, that type of thing. Okay. All righty. So we're going to take a look under the hood of this. And we're just going to concentrate on verse 16. So these are the two, right? The phrases we're going to concentrate on are but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. So the thing that I want to point out to this is there's no way to read that without assigning the responsibility and the source of faith to us in all three cases. We have uh, faith through Jesus. In other words, man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So you can see there that the faith of Jesus in a, in, in a proper way of understanding takes the place of the works of the law. But we're still the one. At one point, we were doing the works of the law, and now we're doing the faith. Right? And then, down here it says, so that we may be... Uh, no, even we have believed in Christ. Well, who's doing the believing? I'm doing the believing. Because I'm believing, and Jesus becomes the, the object of that belief. Okay, And then the last phrase is, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Meaning, I'm standing in good standing now. I'm justified. Because... Hmm? What does? Oh, the second one does in King James, but in the first one. In the first one. I was reading in the, in the Galatians. In other words, the point is, the way it's translated in the American Standard is that we're responsible in every one of those instances. Okay? And the way it tries to translate it in King James is that Jesus is responsible in a couple of those instances. But we are responsible in believing in Him. 
Okay? Now, how do we know which one of these is closer to the intended meaning by the apostle? And I don't really understand. I mean, I'm not that great on all this stuff, but I honestly don't understand why so many modern translators that are just linguists translate it this way. Now, not everybody does. Bible and Basic English does a good job of it. There's uh, all, all the literal Bibles do, Concordant and Young and everything. But it's because of theology. It's because here is the most important thing. You either believe in Jesus or go to hell. I mean, to simplify it. And, 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 and that's the only criteria. Even though as soon as you do believe in Jesus, we're going to lay a whole bunch of other crap on you. But until that time, that's the only thing that's important. Amen. Believe in Jesus or burn. That is the theological framework behind most of the translations that, that just are very loose with this genitive case. And so anyway, but for our situation, because we're trying to actually ask a question, which is actually uh, closer to what is intended by Apostle Paul, well, to do that, I'm going to work on the assumption that Paul wrote down and that his writings got transferred to us in their original language, not as original manuscripts, but accurately. In other words, what Paul wrote down, we have access to through textual criticism and archaeological finds and stuff like that. And I'm most especially confident that the early church had access to fairly early writings of Paul. So if Paul was trying to say that something was of something or something was in something, he knew how to do that because he was smart. And he knew the language that I only use lexicons to understand. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Second, which is closer to that which is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Because I believe the Bible is inspired. But I also do believe that that it is not inspired in every Tom, Dick, and Harry's translation of it including my own, and in everybody's interpretations, including my own. So there is a certain level of seriousness that we have to attach to what the thing actually says in the original language, which is why, as rudimentarily as I'm capable, I go through that, and and I think this is super important. And then lastly, which is just closer to the truth, even if the truth raises more questions than it provides answers. And Vicki and I were talking about this Saturday of last week, and she raised what is the absolute logical question. So if it's not my faith, which, and I just, you know, we've already talked about the fact that we, we do have a role in faith. When God gives us a gift, it really is ours. And so we, ha- we, we can. But it's that I have faith because he gave me faith. I have faith because he has faith type thing. But the, the question's still a good one. If it's Jesus' actual faith that he possesses and lives with and sits on the throne with and has had forever because he's known the Father face to face forever, how does his faith manifest in my life? Or how does his faith manifest in my world? Or more importantly, for tonight's discussion, how does his faith manifest in Jody's need? Or in the need of your daughter in a car? It's a good question. And what I'm going to teach you tonight or hopefully give you permission to believe, is not going to answer that necessarily. But it'll give us a basis to have permission to look for the answer, and I think the Lord will do it. And sometimes the answer comes without the explanation, like you're with your daughter or with your, is it your uh, mom? or mom. Yeah, you know. Well, mom, I can't really explain why we've tried to do this for 20 years, but now we prayed and it's done in 30 minutes. But that's cool. 
And so we we have literally the evidence that the faith produced. Yes, right. Hopefully what I'm about to say or ask adds clarity and doesn't confuse. Okay. Between the words of and in, I believe that I have faith in the faith of Jesus. Okay. So that what Jesus did by faith impacts me. So my faith is in what Jesus has faith of. So the faith of Jesus is important to me. Mm -hmm. Because you have faith in him. And I have faith in him. So his faith matters to me. Yeah, I, that's, that's definitely so a I don't step know if that's right. a way to, a context to think of it could in be. our discussion. Could be. And we'll, we'll get into more detail about that next week. Okay, here comes the real fun slide. All right. So this is Galatians 2.16 in an interlineal. Okay? And here's what we're, I'm going to try to help you see. So in this particular online uh, or digital interlineal, this is the Greek word. This row is the Greek words. This is the grammatical symbols. This is the English translation. This is the row, the purple row and bottom is the row of the Strong's numbers, if you look it up in Strong's Dictionary or other dictionaries that are coded that way. And this thing on the bottom is a transliteration of how you pronounce that Greek using English symbols and accents. So that's, understand it? All right, so this is 16, the one we were just looking at. Knowing that a man is not justified or is justified not by the works of the law, but by faith. And notice in here, in the interlineal, they translated it, and this is a modern interlineal translation, but it's a, it's a language-based thing as opposed to a, a theological Bible translation. Notice of Jesus in here, right here. Okay, see that? Notice this word, faith. Notice this word, Christ. Notice this grammatical thing up here, N-F-S-G, that is noun, feminine, singular, genitive. Notice the agreement between the noun faith, pistos, and the Jesus Christ. The reason the of is in there is because those agree in the genitive. And it's that first case about where it said it's basically talking about what the source of something is. So the word, there's no word in Greek that says of in that sentence. You can have that preposition in Greek, but this one is, is indicated by the genitive case. All right? So by the faith of Jesus Christ. Okay, now look at this. You see this PA right here? That is... Um, accusative. This is a noun, masculine, singular, same thing over here, but you see this one is a G in the genitive, and this was an A. So this preposition in 
agrees with this noun, Christ, and this noun, in case. That's why it's appropriate to translate this. We have believed. See the accusative there? We have believed in Christ Jesus. So this isn't just me wishing or hoping that there's a difference in these two things. Grammatically, that's how the language works. The agreement between the genitives, and sometimes even just a single genitive, because sometimes the concept is, is, a, is a completed concept, and then it gets established, and that's what the, the, no pun intended, that's what the case is in that passage in Mark where Jesus says, have the faith of God. There is still an accusative in there, but theos is in the genitive case. And so it's have faith. You have faith of God. And that's the way it's translated in like Young's literal and various ones that translate with a view to literalness. But that's, so here's an example of those two phrases. This is a prop, appropriately translated. Uh, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. It would be wrong to put that we have believed of Christ Jesus. Because it's, it's pretty, it's, you know, you can see the agreement. Now, as we go on down here, uh, we have this thing going on here that we might be justified. But here it comes. Genitive, genitive, genitive. By the faith of Christ. Not the faith in Christ. Because if it was faith in Christ, it should be written in the accusative. And you can write it in the accusative because it is written in the accusative, just in the same sentence. You see what I'm saying? So this isn't, like I say, it's not just us, and it's not only about Christ that this holds up. So look at this. Here's the genitive by preposition. Works. Noun. Neuter. It's not uh, gender specific. It's by the works. Plural. That's why it's not work. By the works. Plural. Of the law. Masculine. Singular. Because there's one law. Not a lot of laws, right? There's many works. So these preposition, genitive, Works, noun, neuter, plural, genitive, of the law. Noun, masculine, singular, genitive. So that is translated of the law. It would be inappropriate, and it wouldn't make any sense, and nobody's tempted to do it, to translate the works in the law. Because that would infer that somehow the works are being done by the law or something. I mean, you could make some sense of it, but it's really plainly written to explain that it's the plural works that are of the law. They are, the law is the source of these works, even though the person is doing it. And of course, this is a negation because it says you're not going to get righteous by doing that. So do you see what I'm, do, do you see the difference between the genitive cases, their agreement, and what that means versus, so it's not just that I, I'm saying that this genitive set here is exclusive to Jesus. No, the genitive can be applied to anything to which a source is attached. And so, um, 
See if there's any other place. Here's another of the works of the law. See, we still have another genitive, genitive, genitive. So this word right there is created by that case and disagreement. Okay, that's about all I can do that way. Oh, and, and yeah, there's the other accusative. So that one phrase is translated... Uh, let's see, where am I at? Let's go back here. Okay, which one most closely corresponds to the way it was written in Greek, assuming that the Greek we have is accurate. It's clearly the King James in this case, which is very rare, frankly. <laughs> but but it's it's really true. So the only reason, I think, that the uh, New American Standard translates it that way is it's under a ton of pressure from the contemporary theology that keeps believing in Jesus being more important, but it, and and again, there's how can you say there's something that's more important than believing in Jesus, except the very structure of redemption that God gives when Jesus said, "In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you." And by the way, those are accusative. He's not saying that there's a process. He's not saying that there's. He's he's saying, "Yeah, this is real. You'll know that I'm here in my Father, as I've always been." And now, and you are in me, and I'm in you. And that that establishes the link to where we are, the location that you're talking about, Greg, the union. But then the faith and the things that are attached to Jesus being in us are sometimes genitive in case, and they should be translated in such a way that they point back to Jesus being the source of them. So I think a very strong case can be made that the translation in this case in King James of 2.16 more accurately conveys what Paul was trying to say, even though it leaves us with a weird question. And the question is, what is it like to have Jesus' own faith do things in my life? Well, I'm guessing it's awesome. It, It seems to be awesome. And it also seems to fit with what Jesus said when he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Because that was what he said after he rose. Reflecting back on what he said when he said, um, uh, because I go to the Father, you'll do greater things than me. And I don't do anything except what the Father does. These words are not my own. They're the Father work in me. And so what I would suggest to us is that we have been um, stunted in our belief about faith because we've not our whole Christian lives been encouraged to realize that our faith is an expression of his faith that he is held forever by his father, in his father, and that he literally, really, in some mysterious way by the Holy Spirit or who knows how, he is in you, in me. And when we walk into a room, it's the same as when he walked into the room with a little girl that had died. And we have to try to figure out how. And part of the way that I think Jesus wants us, or at least part of the context that I want, I think he wants us to figure out is unless you turn and become like a little child, you won't see this stuff in the kingdom. So we have to be, and I don't mean any disrespect, I mean the highest admiration. We have to be like you were, 
just in the simple faith of a child with your daughter and with your mom. Let's just pray. Let's just see. Let's just see what work the Father is going to do in us in this situation. And then, so that's it. What I want to come out of this is I want you to consider seriously having permission to believe that the King James translation of Galatians 2.16 and 2.20 and several other places is correct. And that that puts a lot more pressure on us than just another verse that tells us we need to be better or more faithful or more holy or something. Okay? Help us, Father. 